What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is One Hate Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides taking it. Give me all you got! This is Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. Uh, joining me today is an extremely talented filmmaker uh, who, well, where do I even start? I start with my favorite of their films is her 29, uh, 2019 Lingua Franca, which is the most readily available in Australia. This is actually what's terrible when I talk to a filmmaker whose work is so hard to get in Australia. It's almost like I want to do exactly what she did when she was an emerging cinephile and go to one of those huts in Asia where you can go and buy everything that is pirated because that's the only way seemingly that you can get this stuff. But on Tubi in Australia, the incredible Linqua Franca is there. Director and writer of Senorita. Oh, sorry. Have you got a hint of where it's available in Australia? Your other stuff. Um, I, I, we're working on making it available. So I feel Ex- like you're Vincent Hanna and Michael Moffat <laughs> in Australia and Macaulay. <laughs> we are hunting it down. We're building dossiers. We're following people. We're scouring it out. We're trying to find it. And if you've got a VPN, that's the other great way to access this filmmaker's work. But being extremely selective right now with One Heat Minute, it's such a cherished podcast in our suite of podcasts that we've done and so it really takes a while for me to get this you know magnificent car out of the driveway to talk about heat again and usually it's someone extremely special and today that is exactly the case this person that i'm talking to today wrote these words about their picks for the sight and sound greatest films of all time poll desire transgression seduction the closest i've come to a spiritual possession and if anyone knows anything about me when you talk about heat i'm a man possessed and this person put heat on their list amongst Jan dillman amongst in the mood for love by travail holy motors an outstanding list isabel sandoval thank you so much for coming on to one heat minute hey blake i'm so excited and thrilled to be here um and to be honored among the luminaries <laughs> that you have had so far on your show, both critics, you know, filmmakers, and other well, cinephiles. You're an you're an acolyte of Michael Mann, as Guillermo del Toro calls anyone who comes on this show. Once you're an acolyte of Michael Mann, it's just like it happens. But it's so great to to talk to you. And it's you know, at, at these times of things, I don't think there's ever a winner when you make a list of like when you're making a compiled list of, you know, I guess 
what is canonically the best movies, I guess, generationally that we talk about because everyone gets so really personal and it's like, no, actually what's fun is going and looking at the individualists and seeing your favorite personalities, just like your favorite critics or your favorite filmmakers, what really tickles them, like what gets them excited, what inspires them. That's the fun. And so I think so much of the discourse is so tiresome, but then when it released, you know, the individual list, I was like, oh, this is great. Who's got heat on their list? Yeah. Um, and and I believe uh, you're like one of the only people that had heat on their list um, that was released for the longest time. I think now it's, you know, in the hundreds, top 100 of all time based yeah. on all of the ones that are being released. But when yours became public, I think so many of now our mutual interactions, people that we yeah. talk to on Twitter, were all just like on that tweet and going, Isabel knows. Wow. She, yeah, she, she, she. <laughs> yeah, now I want to, because they just released, you know, all the ballots, right? So I want to check who of. actually voted for for Heat or any Michael Mann um, film. I'm sure like Thief, Thief. might have also gotten a few votes. Yeah, maybe. The Insider, I think, is up there for a lot of people okay. as well. But, you know, you're uh, uh, not to not to, not to shout out, um, uh, and only because this is special, um, but Jason Bailey's great podcast, like a very good year. You've just, yeah. your episode has just dropped on that. You saw, you had 1974, which I think is the most staggeringly stressful year, I think, to, to pick in <laughs> movies. And you had outstanding picks, including probably my favorite of that year. I mean, it's so hard to say, but like Parallax View. So you're, you're a massive Alan Pakula person as well. So it's so awesome to talk to you because I'm like, Pakula, man, I feel like yeah. our tastes are definitely aligned there because yeah, it's, it's just really cool to see what filmmakers are starting to make the canon just like Gian Delman you know Ackerman yeah. being at the top of the list it's exciting because it's like okay well right. this is the new thing this is the new exciting film that's at the top of the list yeah um yeah you know I think between John Delman and Heat yeah I'm really a disciple of and I'm fascinated with how so much can go on, you know, emotionally, psychologically within a frame or within a scene while there is no apparent action, you know, when we just see characters being like some of the most fascinating moments that, you know, I found in Heat are characters just ruminating and thinking. Yes. And, you know, kind of deliberating in their mind privately a decision that will, you know, affect, you know, the rest of their lives and that of the characters that they really care about. Um, and that way it feels Chekhovian. Um, you know, Chekhovian and that typically in Chekhov, it might just be a family having, you know, dinner and having small talk. But in this, in those very same moments, um, with a seeming seemingly innocuous bit of dialogue, their lives can be, you know, torn apart or shattered or built up completely from ruin. And it's those, yeah, very um, sneakily substantial and very pivotal moments that take place, you know, within the pauses of the bigger action sequences that I, yeah. I'm really drawn to as a filmmaker. I'm really... I'm really a minimalist. I mean, as you can see in Lingua Franca, and that is the, I think, aesthetic um, and dramatic direction I'm going in with my work um, moving forward. And in fact, you know, I already have announced uh, a film tropical gothic that's a period drama, but I'm also currently developing a noir film, like, you know, something like a, heist movie as well and um i was telling my co-screenwriter i want to make something like le circle rouge or (laughs) eat or drive yes you've just said all those things because i love i want to jump into about 10 of the things that you just said but one of them is just that that's the chakovian brilliance especially if you see any of the work multiple times and especially because this by virtue of this show and by virtue i think of consuming your favorite things over and over again i find myself going where is the 
where is the moment? Where's the ramifications going to happen? And it's just like those tiny things, you know, we're not going to talk about this for the minute that we're going to cover and probably dive into a little bit more deeply to, you know, yeah. look through as the portal to heat. But I just love Dennis Haysbert's character, Don Breeden in this movie. And mm -hmm. when you said that, I was just thinking he's sitting there in the diner after, a, uh, uh, sorry, in a bar after a horrible day at the diner. You know, Bud Court is his terrible boss who's basically given yeah. him the red and the right act about what happens. I take your take home pay, etc. And before his partner comes in, he's just sitting there looking despondent, drinking, just kind of like trying to put a glaze over his life. And you're like, you don't even have to, he doesn't have to have one word of dialogue. You never have to see him again. But you're like, this guy is not going to put up with this. He's not yeah. going to last. Like he needs that person in his life to try and keep him straight and keep yeah. him on the straight and narrow. But you see him for one second and like the tears are welled up in his eyes and he's just wanting to throw everything away immediately. And you know, and I think that that's, you're hundred percent right. That actually makes the movie. I hate when people are like, oh, it's the slow bits and what, and you're like, no, the slow bits are the movie. I, I just want to dissuade. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the heist. It's all the things that happened before the heist. It's all the preparation. It's all those silent moments. It's always pauses for reflection. It's a rage reverse out of your driveway because you've had a fight with your wife because you're gambling on the Super Bowl again. Um, it's it's everything. So I couldn't be more thrilled that you said, you know, three of those things because Drive and Le Circle Rouge, there's like two hours of each of those movies that are nothing to do with the heist. <laughs> They're all yeah. of the in-between segments of the heist yeah. and that's actually everything. Yeah. And, you know, I think I'm not trying to, not the first one to think this, but his films, especially um, Thief and Heat, are kind of spiritual um, sequels and also a very sophisticated and, you know, really interesting dramatic articulation of a fundamental Buddhist philosophy, you know, in principle of self-abnegation, yes, um, of relinquishing and detaching from material possessions and attachments in order to fulfill or achieve a kind of nirvana. Um, yes. And this is embodied, of course, in um, in Thief and the Frank character uh, by James Caan um, and finds its, I guess, fullest realization in the character of, of Neil Macaulay. And then in Thief, he's kind of like, you know, he's acquiring these relationships you know with, with tuesday weld having a baby starting a family and at the end of the movie he also just you know gives up all of those so he can pursue and achieve his mission of you know avenging himself and in in heat neil gets close to it literally you know <laughs> yeah and you know that scene and then pulls back at the very final moment, nothing, you know, there's no dialogue exchange, but it is the most heartbreaking scene among, you know, some classic, <laughs> you know, major heartbreakers in heat. You know, it's really <laughs> a dramatic moving film. Um, it's, it's a lot of love stories that yeah. are happening because man really invests those characters in relationship with, you know, the realism and the authenticity that we feel real emotions for these people, for these fictional characters. And especially two characters that are, you know, at their core, oppositional types for us to care equally about both characters. I think that's the unique and really singular emotional aspect or quality that makes Heat stand out among action classics yeah because you you know all other movies that really try it and there are some that do such a brilliant job with getting close but it's michael man put it best in this way and he's put it in many interviews this way he's like whoever you were watching on the screen i wanted you to be with them not just like superficially but 100 percent in their headspace in their mindset and with them when yeah. they're on screen, your goals are their goals. And when and, and when their oppositional forces are on screen, your yeah. goals are theirs. And so it's just that great kinetic energy of like being like, 
it's like watching if you're a sports fan it's like going i love both of these teams and i kind of don't want either of them to lose i just want to watch them play and that's the whole the whole brilliance of heat is that you're just like oh my god especially once these two guys go and get a cup of coffee together you're like just give me more of this any part of it i want it i want it um oh my god well look i because partially because i just want the treat of actually watching something with you because i think it would be such a fun thing we're gonna dive into the 27th minute cue it up we're gonna look at a clip of this and this is isabel's request we were talking we we were definitely going to touch on thief in this conversation but isabel said specifically blake i want to talk about when neil meets Edie. So that is where we are, 26 minutes into, I think it's the theatrical cut of heat that most people have got. It's around this. It might be a second or two off, but you guys will hear it. You guys have a listen along. We're going to watch it together. And then we're going to come back and talk about this great, completely undervalued moment in this epic, but it is uh, nonetheless brilliant. You don't want to talk to me. It's okay. Sorry I bothered you. I didn't mean to be rude. I didn't recognize you. I work in metals. I'm a salesman. My name's Neil. I'm 80. You like working there? Sure. I get a discount. There's a whole section of books in my area. What area is that? Graphic design. I do um, letterheads and logotypes at night and stores day job till I get enough going. Who do you do that for? Uh, a restaurant. I did their their menus and. Um... We'll be back after this quick break. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, it's a real treat just watching you, an extremely talented filmmaker, watch that with the glee that I'm watching. <laughs> that was just <laughs> such a treat. It's such a treat. So for people who are just listening, the the masterful thing about this exchange is the camera choices, the positioning of the camera. First, an extremely kind of hostile two-shot, closed off shoulders, strained postures, and then this gorgeous like uh whip pan around to reframe them to open neil's chest up so that their relationship is that the or the body language completely changes and shifts sorry my name is neil his hand goes out and the last second that we're skating out of this shot into the beginning of the 28th minute is neil picking up his 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 coffee and his dinner and sliding it over so that he can sit one seat closer to Edie and it is just so special tell me tell me why you Isabel love this scene so much um you know this is in the same vein as the cab ride in um you know um collateral (laughs) you know man is revered as an action director but he I I don't think he gets enough credit for writing these very um just incredible flirtation you know scenes (laughs) between characters i know he's like the serious version of lubitsch you know (laughs) (laughs) or um yeah and that you know his characters tend to be very kind of standoffish lone wolf you know very committed to their to their to their passion or their job and in first instance that they're meeting these um 
women um, and to see within that minute and Neil Macaulay kind of the slow thawing of yeah. that, you know, that ice and man is aided immeasurably by just another master at his craft with De Niro. Yeah. Who's, you know, very expressive, um, communicates as much, you know, with what he's saying um, by, you know, the, the pauses and the hesitations and the just the, the thinking, you know, the processing that's going on in his head. Yes. That scene. And we see that shift, that turn, as you say, to kind of um, the opening up, you know, both with his body language and approaching Edie. And, you know, I know we only had one minute, but, you know, how that scene cuts from there to that overhead shot. Oh, wow. Uh, beautiful shot where it's it's about it's about the 30th minute where it's just goes off to that la shot and the great film critic manola dargas who joined us several Mm -hmm. times on this journey she said blake this is the kind of romance the lie that we accept in michael mann movies for all its authenticity we have to believe that a graphic designer has that view (laughs) and i said and ever since then i've never been able to watch that scene in heat without going you know we we allow our romantic you know fantasy elements in michael mann movies and it's when a graphic designer can afford that view that's we'll let that go that's totally yeah but you know i mean it's also the instance where that the film kind of elevates to a different more romantic you know more heightened um yeah lyrical plane it was completely just mesmerizing mesmerizing and you know kind of bewitching to me it was at that moment that cut between them and the diner and this kind of very extreme wide shot really um that uh were put under a spell i was definitely put under a spell (laughs) yes at that moment and you know i think it's one of you know many moments in the film is like this is not your typical action film and i'm not even an action film you know (laughs) aficionado um but if i were going to make an action film i would this is what would what inspired me to want to attempt to do that. I just wanted to say that usually talking to you right now, I, I'm in, you know, you're an inspiring filmmaker and it's exciting to talk to you. And I would just say this, I always say that the worst the worst nightmare that I have is people, usually other filmmakers, especially very broy filmmakers, film bro uh-huh. filmmakers, start out and they say, I want to, you know, I'm inspired by heat. I want to make my version of heat. And then you watch the film and you go, you, did you watch heat? Like, did you understand what it even was? And speaking to you right now, I'm going to say unequivocally, I'm like, if there's anyone who says I was inspired by heat and I wanted to make a film and approach it, just even those few lines that you just said about the, like the, the elevated experience that you have in this mesmerizing dreamlike state that you have at this specific nexus of the movie about it taking to this new romantic, you know, emotional space and heightened, you know, level of emotionality for all of the characters. Cause it's really yeah. this part that starts coinciding across everything. We're seeing Chris with Charlene. We're seeing, you know, yeah. the, the, um, the, the Diane Venora, a Justine relationship with, um, with Vincent and how that's been yeah and all these sorts of things that are being unfolding so i can say with confidence when you say it i get excited i don't just go oh no the love of god don't say it i actually and i feel the pressure you know i'm sorry that comes with being good like it happens right this is what's gonna have to happen but i'm just like isabel actually gets it she actually (laughs) gets what this what it is about but i love this scene so much i love i found this in and you were just talking a little bit earlier before we pivoted into this scene, just mm-hmm. about what I was shocked and what I was shocked initially, but I guess as the journey of this project went on, the most sought after scene for anyone to want to talk about in the entire mm-hmm. film, by far, not the heist, not the diner conversation, uh-huh. the finale. I had like nine people say, Blake, I have to talk about the tunnel. 
I have to talk about the tunnel. Like the, you were just referencing it. We didn't even mention what scene it was, but I knew exactly what you were talking about, which is that tunnel sequence where Nate gives him that call. You're home free. Yep. Home yes. free. Hangs the phone up. He's sitting there next to Amy Brenneman's beautiful face. This gorgeous wide shot. The tunnel yeah. lights change. And then De Niro's face in all its like minutia, like this like Stradivarius level yeah. of facial gestures that just play. And then the choice is made. And it's just like that became almost like a, it's like a metaphor for the entire movie is that choice in that, in that tunnel. Yeah, exactly. And you know, like the parallel of that moment in my own familiar Franca is, um, remember the slow dance scene kind of? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And you know, they, the small talk about the passport and as she's like resting her her chin on his shoulders just that dawning realization um is facing those moments i'm like wow because those i think in action in the action genre or you know in american cinema mainstream american cinema typically where there's really no patience you know for yeah. for these kinds of ruminative um meditative moments where you know characters are coming to the realization but that when you include that in in a in a genre that seemingly kind of shuns those kinds of moments it's jolting it's you know jarring because and it lends the action kind of just more humanity and more emotional weight and you know that's the thing with he too in general is that all the characters and man, man has said this himself like he invested the characters with enough he makes the audience invest emotionally in each of those characters um that anything that happens to them leaves a sort of emotional impact on on the audience even like especially notable is dennis haysbert's oh. you know character um really just the getaway driver that in other films, you know, he doesn't get his own arc. Or <laughs> he doesn't even get a mention. He just gets shot and it's over. Exactly. And like, and even the pivot of like Treo, who is such an important yes. character for the whole movie that the b- baton pass, you know, that could just be all like, get another driver and like another movie. And you can just totally see that some folks who are anchored to this can just to the pure, like, I guess you'd say like the most elemental, like stripped down version of Heat, you know, and he he got to make it as LA Takedown, the the TV yeah. movie. It's like people are like, well, why didn't LA Takedown work? It's like, because you, you've seen a lot of these tropes before. It they they're not elevated to this next level where there's an emotional tapestry of every character. So as soon as Treyo hands over, you're like, oh my god, is there a betrayal of it? And you, get, you have no time to think. So the you know how it carries through to those things but by the time you know when neil goes up to dennis haysbert's character there um don in the kitchen you're just you're like oh god it's so heartbreaking it's so heartbreaking that he's going going to do it but it's even more heartbreaking that you know from the moment he has that drink in that bar on that first day that he's gonna say yes he's not gonna hesitate he's going to do it and i love what you said before that chikovian sort of ramifications the ramifications of small conversations are so good just like little things it makes me think of Mikey and Nikki too. It's like, you know oh, yeah. how bad Mikey and Nikki, you know, Elaine May's great film, you know how bad their relationship is going to get in like an hour and a half before any of it goes bad. Just yeah. in a couple of little, the way that they interact with each other and the way he parries off a conversation here or there with one yeah. another and they're just that great Fork and Casavetti's energy because they're such great friends and it's just electric and you're like oh, this is going to go so bad. It's going to go so bad. And I, I have to, I'm entangled now. I have to see it out. I have to see how bad it gets. And, you know, um, also what's surprising to me about Heat is that despite its seeming reserve, you know, and um, kind of very seemingly detached while making it's, it's about the thrill of the chase, you know, and it's, it's an yeah. exhilarating film about you know these two characters who are just in the relish and the gusto with which they pursue yes each other um in a way it's kind of like an immoral or <laughs> film in that it doesn't necessarily concern itself with the conventional morality of what's right 
you know, what's wrong. We're with both characters. Um, and we are equally invested in each of their pursuits, you know, as yeah. one, the thief, and as um, the police. And that's what complicates the film, too. Yes. Emotionally, that it's that it's not one protagonist and it's not, yeah, the the orthodox kind of dramatic orientation that we're used to. Um, in the same way, I think that's also what made Face Off, you know, <laughs> yes, really riveting. And I think, um, didn't Face Off they come out the year after, yeah, um, he got in '95. We've got Point Break, and then you've got Heat, and you've got Face Off, and there's lots of great two huge actors going against each other and the quandary of the chase you know yeah. i think point break and i mean another great la movie but and catherine bigelow just like a kind of unabashed you know like uh affrontingly so that you're like these guys are there's a love story happening there's a real central yeah. <laughs> there's a real central magnetic connection and you know people joke about it with heat and i'm like every take is valid every take is valid it is kind of a love story and some of it is kind of tragic as you said the thrill of the chase it doesn't they're, they're not um vincent doesn't do any kind of self-reflection on why the chase like outwardly yeah. is so is so important to him but it's like this is a guy who saves his stepdaughter from a, a suicide has an attempted reconciliation with justine and then looks at his pager and knows about neil mccauley and says oh i yeah. could stay justine lets him go and she stays back crumbling and he skips down those stairs. He just is ready to get back into the chase. And it's one. Of, that's another one of the magnificent and tragic scenes of the movie is because he just can't. He, like, we we're with him going down the stairs, but man is so quick to remind us, like, hey, there there are consequences. There's a toll that's being paid with every character, and all debts are being collected by the end of this thing. Yeah, um, it's funny. Also, used to joke to my friends that. You know, like three years later, they remade this into a capery, you know, fun <laughs> movie, but with Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney. Yes. They're fucking instead of killing each other. <laughs> and you know what? And, and, and you know what? Some would say that was a better idea. It was, it's <laughs> definitely a great movie. Yeah. And, you know, it's. Wow. My God, I feel like, why am I? becoming speechless i just think about it like, and this is the trap unfortunately you know my co-host katie walsh and i also do a, a podcast on miami vice which we call mm -hmm. miami nice which yeah. is a um which we both love unashamedly but that is a like a also a really horny and romantic movie and some people are like you know they're like oh these you know it's got these love stories and things like that. you know actually the whole thing's a love story so let's just squash that now it's not even a thriller it's not a undercover story it's a love story it's an entangled love story and it has all this heightened action and emotion and exactly as you said these like pregnant moments that have great contemplation and michael mann's a filmmaker who seems to effortlessly weave those things together in mainstream yeah. genre films and that's what elevates them and that's what why people take notice and why filmmakers like yourself get inspired by them or transfixed yeah. by them and go oh if i'm ever going to approach it michael mann gave me a template that i don't have to do this rote stuff i can actually do something that's way more interesting to me which is find the reality and the humanity in these things exactly and you know ultimately i feel like you know um he is very much in control of the emotional experience that he wants to create in the, the audience and at the end of the day you know that's you know what we're watching movies forward not necessarily remembering you know the characters and their quirks you know oh. um and what they're saying to each other but what we'll never forget is how certain movies make us feel yeah and that very unique i think emotional um experience um that we get from specific tours you know like with Wong Kar Wai for instance a very different oh. director um but nonetheless transfixing and you'd never forget yes. how you feel when you yeah. watch one of his films. Yeah, there's just a kind of a very just swoony and glorious um, kind of melancholy and yeah. heartbreak that you get from watching a World Cry film. That's what draws us, you know, and pulls us back over and over again each time he he makes a film and with Michael Mann for me it's that you know he uses um like the heist movie he uses 
yeah, the chase movie to, you know, focus on, yeah, these love stories. And it's, it's something that you don't expect in that particular genre. It's very, you know, like explosions, you know, machismo. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, while these characters have that, you know, that hard, tough exterior, they're really softies. Yes. You know, they're very sensitive, um, emotional men that are hiding behind this rough um, facade. And, you know, those cracks in the armor are what makes, what, what, one of the things that makes a, a Michael Mann um, a sly and subtle emotional master of cinema. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And yeah. the 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 big thing that you just said also is, um, I, I don't know if it's an Australianism, but there's a phrase that we use sometimes. It's like, we need a good cry. You know, we need a good cry. And I think that Wong Kar Wai or those filmmakers who have that ha- can touch and immediately enwraps you with that melancholy. They've just kind of got it on a string for you. Yeah. It's like you just focus in and you're like, I need a good cry. So it's time for in the mood for love. You know, <laughs> it's just like, it's time yeah. for something. I need, I need a good, like, I need to, I need to be played like a fiddle here. I need to just have a cry and yeah. love, love and love heartbreak and, and then be okay when the credits roll that like, that was just the, an experience. And I think that, you know, I, I think so many things get just taken into those little pockets. And very recently, you know, uh, a film that I, for the biggest compliment I can give it, it made me feel a little bit like that. A, a contemporary kind of thief riff is yeah. uh, Aubrey Plaza's Emily, the criminal was another one that was just yeah. v- a lot of space for contemplation and, uh-huh. talking about personal value and identification and like trying to find, you know, break out and be independent and those sorts of things. Yeah. And then getting entangled with mobsters. And the whole time I was just thinking like, this is, this is someone who gets it. This is someone who's like take, taking a genre elements because it gives us the familiarity of momentum, but has yeah. no qualms about saying, stop. This is where my film is different for this moment, for this love story, for this quandary, for this, situation yeah. and yeah that i i think I, i'm all for that i'm like i don't know why we just don't make a hundred more movies that have, just have a, jo- a genre bent and then just do a, a le- let talented filmmakers like you just go off and do whatever they want to do to make <laughs> their version of that um i recently saw emily the criminal on a um a plane <laughs> a, a plane a, a per- it's a it's not a it's not a wide scope heat you don't have to feel embarrassed it's not like they're watching <laughs> something that has been shot on this huge panavision or vista vision cameras it is a small movie but i i yeah. felt it played really well yeah and i thought you know aubrey was Aubrey plaza was spectacular in it yes um you know one other thing that i want to talk about um that i love about heat and thief as well is you know just Michael Mann's fascination with process. Um, yeah. Uh, just staying with the characters, especially in Thief, as they're, you know, opening up that that door with the magnesium. And um, one of the what, greatest scenes ever in cinema. Yes. Absolutely. And um, yeah, and that's why I, what made me watch Le Circle Rouge, actually, too, in that it's kind of a very deliberate and, and single minded fixation on how things are done yes and kind of very boldly stating that this is what makes for a thrilling cinema <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know no one's getting shot no. <laughs> no cars you know no you know automobiles are ex- exploding but just you know these characters very much loving what they do and being enamored with it how to get from point A to point B to point C and point D and expecting and demanding us as an audience to be just as riveted by it. I think it's... I, Le Cirque Rouge, you know, whether it's a... uh, There's a great... uh, Great French French film critic, Jean-Baptiste Thoré, who talks about... um, 
man's influences and even though man doesn't sort of outwardly like some other filmmakers say oh you know i took from this or i was really influenced by that seems a bit more of a a sponge but you know le cirque rouge you watch that film and you're like "Uh, this has to be it almost like it's like melville has to be a man guy like you know i think that that's a phrase that you say oh he's one of my guys or she's one of my gals like that's i'm i'm a i'm I've, I've got a season ticket for this filmmaker. But Le Cirque Rouge, the thing that even gets me every time is the scene where the guy takes his shoes off so that he can walk up the stairs quietly after staging the walk-in yes. and yes. not get heard. And yeah. it's just that. It's like not even the aiming to shoot the little thing through, to do it all, to ha- you know, to, to cinch up the security, to have everything that they need to do and... and it's not even just that. It's just like one guy taking his shoes off so that people can't hear him walking up and down the marble stairs and clomping along. I'm like, that's it. Like, that's everything. That's, you know, and and even, you know, James Khan, it's like even the first safe, you know, how he has to go through and then get a hammer to knock this through. It's just like all those little details. It's like you're telling so much about that character and who they are and what their headspace is. And in man movies and Melville's, they they are just, they are so precise. They are a well-oiled machine and things will go down the way that they're going to go down. And then it leaves you on nice edge. Like, oh my God, when is this going to go wrong? Or what's the thing that's going to disrupt them? And then when they conquer it or they don't, that's that's so much part of this thrill. Exactly. And, you know, just um, the movie kind of like stops in its tracks to like, just let you <laughs> yeah. be immersed in that moment. And like, as you said, you know, it's, you know, those tiny details, like the taking off the shoes that you know you don't typically get to see um and other movies have this type that lends it um texture you know dimension and that's that's texture that makes it feel more real and that i i also said that you know it's in those moments that the circle illusion like man and thief you know the opening of the the save like feels like a documentary yes (laughs) Well, I think all of the guys certainly felt like it was a documentary when he's standing there, James Khan, with the best thieves in Chicago um, who are actually with him. That You know, it's not the actors or stuntmen that are in the other mask. It's actually real safe crackers that man has uh, got as technical advisors who are helping him Uh open this safe with the metal. So, yeah, it's like that, that sequence where you're watching it all get cut in real time and no speeding up no cheating like if we're gonna do this we're gonna set this thing on fire we're gonna cut through this metal we're gonna watch that molten steel come down yeah it's just electric right um did he write he on his own i'm trying to remember yeah he did yeah he he wrote he wrote it was written it's been written i think the earliest that you can track it back is you know kind of yeah, is is eighties circuit yeah. thief meeting Chuck Adamson and then going and doing crime story and all the, those things and it was always being iterated from that time and then it was like post Miami Vice he gets a chance to make LA Takedown and that's late eighties and he's still making it but it was like early eighties even seventies the earliest idea and then by you know ninety five he 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 thought he cracked the script and he was going to yeah. hand it off to someone else maybe what maybe his good buddy walter hill who's uh, my great friend walter chaw wrote his oh, amazing yeah. compendium um behind me and uh and art linson thankfully convinced him that that was a really silly idea and he had to make it himself because it was his opus so yeah because i always find it fascinating i feel like you know the especially kind of the trajectory from the very first film you know of the director which has a very very bold you know um distinct idea and how over the course of their career, there's one movie that becomes, I guess, the most, you know, the perfect, perhaps most pure and most elegant distillation or articulation of the idea that was put forth in their debut. And I think, yeah, I mean, there's a direct line from Heat, I mean, from Thief to Heat, you know, some of the central concepts, clearly, I mean, even the language, like home free. Yeah. It's in Thief. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, heat you know just <laughs> it is also very much but i guess what what evolved there too is the philosophy of um of the protagonist you know which i kind of touched on earlier in that you know frank and thief um 
is tempted, you know, by, um, by, I guess, um, secular, um, the secular attractions of family relationship. But, you know, Neil kind of wanders like a moth closer to the flame, but ultimately extricates himself, you know, from, from that faith and kind of, you know, becomes a monk. And at the end, you know, and his at the moment of his death, he, he achieves that nirvana yes. that he was going after. Like he didn't go back to prison. I you told know. you I was never going back. I told exactly. you I was never going back. And he manages to essentially liberate and emancipate himself from this mortal coil. And <laughs> um, that ex- that handshake between, you know, Neil and Vincent Hanna at that, you know, at that very crucial moment is like both of them have achieved, you know, what they had set out to accomplish. Um Vincent and, Hanna got what he was going after, and it is, and it's crushing. Happy ending, yeah. It's 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 happy, but it's also crushing because it's it like is. that that devastation of like I told you I was never going back, and I've never heard it put that way. But I think you're so spot on that it's like he has achieved nirvana because according to his code, despite all of the infractions that he's made, he's like the one thing that he said is like, I'm never going back. Like I will never go back to that. I would rather die. It's either die or live in this fantasy that I've, you know, this, I've kind of, uh, I'm the architect of a fantasy, BG, New Zealand, whatever it is. Like he's, he's the architect of that fantasy. And it's like, I'm going to do this or I'm going to die. And then once he holds Vincent's hand, he says, I told you I was never going back. And Vincent says, yeah. And he sort of slips away that next shot is the one that gets me every time. And I've seen this movie. Yeah. I mean, as many times as one of the <laughs> editors of Heat has seen this movie at this point. Um, but that's the the crushing, the crushing weight of his ascension, if you like, to that kind of Nirvana state is like Vincent yeah. going, I don't, I don't go to that same Nirvana. Like it's like, it's not what's left for me. Like what's the exultant state? Because now, this person who is like the most person that's like me in the world or in the universe has yeah. achieved this state. And now I'm alone. Yeah. But and he also achieved helped that person achieve that state. So in a way, true. true. You know, he was the instrument. Yeah. Um, and the tool to facilitate that ascension for Neil Macaulay. And that's, yeah, I don't know. I was, you know, but the last time I saw that, that's when I kind of realized, you know, that, I guess very, very Eastern, you know, yeah. kind of worldview and um, just, just relinquishing and the abnegation of these material um, ties and entanglements. Uh, yeah, um, because I, I think ultimately really to that as well. Um, I don't know, just, I'm not the type to like, Let's just say I'm like a weird <laughs> person, and I'm. I think also being just an introvert, um, and that there are times, you know, um, as a filmmaker, that you know, just you know, entertaining this fantasy of living my life, just pursuing filmmaking and nothing else, like a nun or a monk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was thinking at first, you know, being trans, you know, and not growing up like straight and like having to be subjected to or pressured to conform to yes. certain kind of in life milestones that you know my peers are subjected to like maybe there is a life you know where like a cloistered nun or a monk <laughs> that I can just pursue making films you know my whole life without any other distractions <laughs> Well, if you um, keep if you keep busy enough, that's what happens. Your life just becomes monk-like because you go from distillation of an idea into your next essay on that idea or a new idea or a new patch, and you just keep working and you'll feel like a monk because you won't get to have conversations like this because you're on set doing something and you're out yeah. and you don't. It, it is. You're going yeah. from and one thing. I feel like <laughs> Michael Mann is more sentimental than me because he's yes. actually allowing Neil, you know, like, 
okay, I'm actually gonna get close to this other person. Yes. Um, and then you know, at just you know, the the right moment to be the most heartbreaking. Walk away from that as they're looking at me, devastated and yeah. like totally crushed. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> he is. You also touched on one thing which we haven't talked about with Frank and Neil is that there's a great, like, as you said, it's like you start the thesis in your first films. And this is why it's like mm -hmm. great to go back to, you go back and watch like Blood Simple and then you yeah. watch all Coen Brothers movies totally. later. You, like, and, you, and you go, or you even like Shallow Grave with Danny Boyle, very fun filmmaker. And you go back and watch like his little peccadillos through the rest of his career. It's really fun. Yeah. But that, Jimmy Khan's Frank is so like his performance as a civilian, his car salesman mm -hmm. is so flashy. You know, it's that great yeah. scene with Tuesday World. I wear, you know, $600 slacks, you know, I change cars, like guys change a fucking suit. Right. And he's going crazy. And, but I love that, that perfection of this monk like person later with mm -hmm. Neil is I'm going to strip away all of that. So like with Frank, he's got the beautiful house and, you know, yeah. it's even got that great Jim Belushi scene. It was like, look at this big tree and look at this house. Look at this. But yeah. Neil's like, most immaculate view, but it is a, it is like an operating theater. He's away. He's detached. He doesn't even have more than two cups. You know, he's he's completely attached. So there's dis, uh, sorry, disentangled. So he has all of that later yeah. that he's like, this is just another iteration of this. It's like a a honing or an orthodoxy of a very particular philosophy that he's just going to do that. And now this is that perfect distillation of that. And some people love the Frank because of the extremity of his choices, but Neil's like much more consistent about like, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to approach it. And he's more of a romantic. Frank's like, let's cut out the Mickey Mouse bullshit and get on with this big romance. And Neil's more like, yeah. oh, are you alone? You know? Yeah. And how he's saying initially, like, you know, I'm alone. I'm not lonely. And then <laughs> admitting that afterwards. But you know that his famous, um, his iconic line in Heat, like 30 seconds, you know? Um, yeah, you have 30 seconds to like, you know, leave whatever, you know, wife or her family, whatever you can walk, you know, out on, you know, in 30 yeah. seconds. Um, yeah, and so that's essentially kind of like, what happens in the final act of, yes. of Thief and somehow that wisdom, you know, <laughs> or that philosophy is passed on from the Michael Mann alter ego and Thief to, <laughs> to Michael, uh, to Heat, you know, with Neil Macaulay. Um, and I also watched the first half of Collateral as well and, you know, Tom Cruise is also named Vincent. Also named Vincent, but dresses yeah. like Neil McCauley and has yeah. the silver fox look and the the every, you know, very easily ignored person look of just gray suit, gray hair, sunglasses, businessman. Okay, I don't I barely have to scratch the surface with this person. That's how he turns invisible is to look exactly like Neil McCauley. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, Vincent, you know, and he essentially becoming Neil Macaulay and I think you know is that a man's subliminal way of saying that you know the Vincent ca character in Heat has become disillusioned with with government and politics politics <laughs> turned over seemingly turned over to the other side um, just just flipped it just flipped the switch no I think that um I th I think that that's a nice like you, you can tell Stuart Beatty makes this like punchy. It's originally set in New York, Russian mafia script. And then Michael Mann takes it and says, no, it's being set in LA and it's going to be the cartels. And just so much of his like psychology and philosophy for characters, is just like imprinted on this guy. It's just like that, you know, he's got the flash of Vincent Hanna. He's got the cool of Neil McCauley. It's, 
Yeah. Because then Jamie Foxx gets to play this brilliant, you know, downtrodden outsider and just have to be a witness to all of his mayhem. Yeah. And it's it's a it's a completely different dynamic, but it's super fun. It's the most audience relatable character, Max, in Collateral, because so many yeah. of these people are living their heightened existences. And the great thing about Max is that he's not until tonight that you're watching Collateral, you know, such a brilliant flick. Got a lot of yeah. time for Collateral. Um, yeah fascinating man cinematic universe um, although i'm thinking do you know if the, the jamie fox character in collateral has any precedent in any of man's earlier works or does he feel like a completely new kind of character well he's got a couple of things in common like funnily enough he's probably got a lot in common with an Edie. you know he's a dreamer he's running a small business but he also has some macaulay stuff too and some frank stuff like the whole postcards look into a fantasy life and so he has some of those things but he hasn't it's been harder for him and it almost you'd almost have to go back to like jericho to see like a guy who was put in a situation and but is actually a fairly normal person who's just trying to get their life back on track and gets put into these you know huge things but now he's he's kind of new he's a unique character because then he's kind of forced he's almost like this you know very tangible real person who's outside he gets forced into something that is yeah. kind of unwitting and like it's not like Breeden, who who actually has the expertise and is down and it's kind of tragic it's like it's yeah. you're completely held hostage through this thing so yeah he's definitely new he's definitely newer okay. than those other characters but he's got little color the man color is the postcard the fiji as soon as yeah. you see fiji you're like oh man like i don't know this guy's called Vincent. This guy's looking at a postcard and fantasizing about Fiji. It's like th- those are those little thematic elements that man like fused, you know, whether, you know, by hook or by crook to Stuart Beatty's script. And you're like, that's, that's what he's kind of built into there. But that's, yeah. you know, that's, it's almost like that thing of, and I imagine with yourself that you would find this, it's like, if you read someone else's script and you were going to shoot it, all of your personal, you know, references all of your personal you know philosophy all of the things that maybe are under exaggerated in the script you like blow into huge scenes because you're like this is actually what the movie is to me i just feel like a director uh, unless you're kind of going in as a a director for hire or something like that you you know a great filmmaker will grab something and just like they put their stamp on it so i feel like that's what man did with that script is like all that other stuff that you, you can just you know, whether it's casting these people, wardrobe choices, looks, little kind of silent moments that are probably underwritten in the script. He's like, no, he's going to do this and he's going to look at that and this is the way he's going to do it. It's all there. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating how these characters seem to be stuck in a perpetual limbo, um, you yes. know, where they kind of try and transition from one place to the other. In Thief, it's from Chicago to California. Yes. <laughs> And he now it's from California to New Zealand for <laughs> for yeah. Frank, um, and then collateral for the Jamie Fox character is from LA <laughs> to the Maldives. Um, yeah. But they never actually get there, and so because of that perpetual limbo, they're bound to be reborn, reincarnated again. And I wonder what you know the next installment in that particular man film would be. Um, I'm very curious about Ferrari. <laughs> yeah, well, we but I don't think are. it's you know I don't think he wrote it right. It's not based on his idea. Uh he's been working. He's been developing it for a long time, but yeah. I don't think he wrote it. No, I think you're right there. But he's definitely been working on it for a long, long time. And I think we can all get excited when Michael Mann is making a movie. I think that that's the when those big filmmakers that we love so much like make something new. It's like oh my god, I can't wait. Please don't just go to streaming i would love to see this on a big screen i really want to see it so yeah we've we've it's now finished filming and apparently we're imminently about to hear about the prospect of heat 2 and casting announcements and things like that so okay very exciting times ahead for us man fans just very briefly yeah looking forward hopefully ferrari premieres in Cannes or or venice there you go hopefully you're there yeah, I'm, I'm going to Cannes this oh, year. So I'm excited about that. Have you been? You've I've been a few times, right? N- never been to Cannes. I would okay. love to go to Cannes. And maybe I should have tried to plan. If I knew Ferrari was going to be there, I might, that might yeah. have had to have been the go. Look, it's it not is, too late. Like. It's not too, <laughs> well, 
Thanks. I'll 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 have to tell my family that I'll be gone in May to go to Canada. Again. Sorry, sorry, family. Um, Isabel said it was fine, so I should do that. Uh, this has been an absolute treat talking to you. Um, I'm such a fan of your work, and um, I'm such a fan of your list of choices. I would love to talk about everything that is on this list, but um, it's really special to to bring you know, another man acolyte such as yourself into, uh, into our one heat minute family. So welcome to the crew. And, um, it's been an absolute pleasure and I can't personally can't wait for everything else that you're doing, but particularly you mentioned on again, my favorite year, great podcast, um, from a friend of the show, Jason Bailey, you were talking mm-hmm. about a noir film and I got so excited and I immediately actually was texting Jason going, I love this episode. It's so great. A noir <laughs> film from Isabel. Oh my God. Yeah. Great. Great. So we're so looking forward to that. And just, yeah, thank you so much for being a part of the show. It's, it's, it's really, really awesome to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be part of this community. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.